Perspectives with Catherine Toon, and I have someone so near and dear to my heart that I have known for quite some time, and we kind of recently reconnected. It's amazing how time can fly, but uh, so happy to introduce to you, in case you may not know him, uh, Pastor Larry McKnight, and he is just such a rich treasure, beautiful person. So welcome, Larry. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you. That's that's a very nice introduction. <laughs> well, I want to speak of introductions. I wanted to to read a little blurb. This will give you a sense a little bit about who Larry is because just in his bio, and he he says you would call Larry McKnight a happy, secure Jesus follower. This in spite of leading as a pastor and Bible teacher for over forty plus years, and I love that that secure. Happy Jesus follower. So simple, but powerful, right? And in spite of being a Bible teacher for 40 plus years, that's, that's amazing. So, well, you know that, you know that the responsibility that we're tempted to take is that, and then all the, all the partial knowledge that we operate under all the time really can be a temptation to, to steal that joy and steal that simplicity. So I'm, uh, I'm about 90% honest about that. There's probably those 10% times that dip in there where I let my head run away from my heart, but, uh, but not too much. That's a, that's a pretty, I think that's a pretty accurate assessment. I I'm think glad. It's a pretty accurate assessment, which is why, why it's such a beautiful thing to be able to connect and let you kind of minister with what's on your heart. And I know we, talked about multiple things. Uh, one of the things we talked about is learning to live as a beloved child. And we talked about what that looks uh, with just love and our mandate to love one another and be loved and all of that. So, you know, Larry, I know you have a ton in you, so I'm just going to let you take the mic, so to speak, and run with what's on your heart. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, Probably to help help it make sense for some of the, the viewers and the listeners, let me establish just a little bit of context of that 45 years. Uh, I started as a Southern Baptist. I, I uh, came to, to the Lord while Billy Graham was preaching on TV, and I was dodging yard work one day when I was 14 <laughs> years old. And uh, my family wasn't a particularly church-going or religious family, although we had that Bible Belt, Texas kind of background. And so it just was a, a, it's been a journey. And then as I was just getting ready to graduate high school, I was pondering like a lot of young people do careers and uh, helping people counseling. I was even thinking about going in the FBI. And one day in the shower, the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to be my servant. And the only context I had for that was to be a pastor. And I, I went out and told my parents, Hey, I think I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a pastor. And they, laughed at it and don't get the wrong impression my parents are wonderful people but they just didn't have a grid for it at the time and um so that i you know i went i went back in my bedroom i said well i'll have to give them some time but i began to pursue that and uh quite young vicky and i got married uh, my wife's name is vicky and we got married when she was 19 and i was 20 and we were involved in ministry right from the start in a little southern baptist church i got filled with the holy spirit and that was back during the charismatic renewal. And so there was, 
a place for that in all the different churches, you know, Baptist churches and whatever. But it, the grace for the growing experience ran out in that, in that little Baptist church where I was a youth pastor. And so we made our way through the Nazarene church, Assemblies of God, and uh, then into the vineyard. And then uh, you and I actually ministered together some when we were out here in Colorado about 10 years ago. And it was uh, the nature of the journey. And that's like one of the reasonings behind in spite of, because I've, I've confronted so many different denominational and doctrinal trends. And, but there's been a couple of consistent things through it that, that, uh, inform today. And, and one of those is that I really absolutely still believe with all my heart more than ever, really, that the scripture is an incredible treasure trove, relational revelation. And I can look back on times in my ministry where I looked at it like an encyclopedic revelation and where my job was to understand everything and discern all the history and all the Greek and all this kind of stuff. And I'm not saying that there's not value in that. There's not. And I appreciate that kind of teaching still. But study of the scripture isn't complete until you are with Jesus. And so... One of the things that I think has opened my heart to this revelation about childness and becoming like a little child is because there's efforts out there among the church. And I, I know you're familiar with it because you help coach people into, into the reality of that relationship around love. But people are, are willing to discard uh, church. They're willing to discard the, the Bible. And I understand it. and I'm sympathetic to it. But I just would beg everybody, don't do that. Don't cast yeah. that away. You don't have to. Um, you know, unfortunately, there's been guys like me who've taught things that are sterile and wrong and, and divorced from reality, divorced from re- mostly divorced from relationship. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's not that way. It's not that way everywhere. So, one, the power of the scripture to to create a handhold to be lifted into relationship with Jesus, whether it's the initial one when you get saved or whether it's the relationship uh, that you need to have renewed because the things in your life have conspired to rob you of that, you know? Right. So that's one. And that leads to taking small things seriously and to, to rereading slowly passages of Scripture that I already thought I knew what they meant. So you just kind of gloss over and check them off, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and one of those literally was, was Jesus saying, uh, there in Matthew 18 to his disciples when they said, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Unless you are converted and become like a little child, you will not enter the kingdom. And the thought just dawned on me one day when I was reading that. This was a little while ago. This is kind of a relatively new emphasis. I've always, appreciated it, but but never seen it quite as deep as I do right now, mm-hmm. and it's significant. I thought, wow, if Jesus had said, unless you are good and become a linguist, you won't see the kingdom. Right. Well, we would have schools all over the place for everybody right. to learn the original language. Right. Or unless you're converted and become... Um, you know, a, a part of the spirit of counsel. We to have all those kinds of schools. Right. But I, I really put it to almost anybody. Have you ever heard of a, a, a Bible school of childness? <laughs> we don't have it. And, 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 yeah. and so I started thinking, Lord, 
we're not taking what you said seriously. Right. And, and then is when my heart began to open to other passages. And so if I could just walk you through like three little sections of scripture to let you know the background of all this, then I'm open to questions. And, yeah. and, and really, I'm more open to questions than I am capable of providing answers, for sure. Because this is a, it's, it's a big deal. It's a fundamental thing, but it's a beautiful thing as well. So there's that one passage, uh, you know, unless you become. All right. So that's pretty, that's a pretty serious thing. And Jesus goes on and talks about, if you remember that passage that, uh, you know, uh, will be it if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, it'd be better. If you, you know, he was taking it seriously, really. Right. And he right. was dealing with guys he loved. Right. So that was one. Then I backed up a little bit and I thought, wow. Uh, so Jesus having a conversation in John chapter three with Nicodemus mm-hmm. and Nicodemus comes to him in a very humble way and says, we know that you're from God right. because nobody could do what you do right. without that. Mm-hmm. And Jesus could have answered in a thousand different ways. Right. right? Sure. Like, well, you're right. I'm glad you got that revelation. Matter of fact, when Peter had that revelation about him being the son of the living God, uh, he said, hey, this didn't come from you. This was given to you by the Father. He could have said the same exact thing to Nicodemus, but he didn't. Here's what he said. He said, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus knew what he was talking about. Right. Because he goes, well, how can I as a man... Uh, go back into my mother's womb and be born again. And he said, listen, barely I tell you, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom. So now we have another case of enter and one case of see. And uh, the thing that will make people nervous if they're listening closely is, but Larry, are you saying that, that he's talking literally about that conversion to a little child and not the, the gateway experience that we have to get saved? And, the answer is yes, I am talking about that. I believe that, that we have, because we don't take what Jesus said about little children as the, the base nature of us, because we don't take that seriously, then we have created a metaphor out of what he said to Nicodemus and turned it into saying the sinner's prayer, becoming converted or whatever. And I'm all for all those things, but I think we've missed the essential product of a new birth and what is the product of a new birth as a mom you know that well it's a child you know so that that's the second scripture that kind of jumped at me and i go okay lord i I need to take this more seriously and not let not let my my history or my my religious substitutes Mm -hmm. twist that around so then i backed up three chapters to even something more fundamental and it's in the prologue to john and it says he came unto his own his own received him not but to as many as received him gave he the power to become children of god those that are not born of the will or of man or of the flesh but they're born of god and and so again now you can see my eyes like get open to this idea you're serious about this child nature thing and uh and i thought wow is it possible lord and, and I don't know if everybody knows this, you do, but I, I journal. And so we have these dialogues all the time, you know, right. with the Lord. Sure. But I said, is it possible that the primary gift of the incarnation isn't Jesus coming down, being in a position just to, to bear our sins or just to forgive us or whatever, but the primary gift of the incarnation is the gift of becoming a child. Interesting. Interesting. And I personally believe not just from that one question that day, but 
the ensuing stuff with the Lord over this, mm-hmm. that that is the primary gift. I think if yeah. you read that simply, that's what it says. That, that the thing about receiving Jesus is that we get the ability to become a child. Mm-hmm. Then two questions came out that were very, very important. And then I'll, I'll stop and we can dialogue or whatever. I'm enjoying. Keep going. One of them was, uh, <laughs> the one that almost everybody asked when we talk about this. And that is, so does that mean that, that when we receive Jesus, he gives us the power to become children of God, but that we're not children of God before that. Mm-hmm. And I, I totally understand that question, and I can understand how somebody would teach that, mm-hmm. but I don't believe that that is accurate. Uh, and here's why. I think that that word that is used in there, uh, the power to become or be made, is better illustrated and this is kind of a guy illustration, uh, which that might sound kind of sexist, but anyway, uh, you know how, um, there's a saying about the Marines is that they can make a man out of, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh, join the Marines and we'll make a man out of, you. right? Well, they, the, the, the truth is they can't make a man out of you if you start life as a tomato plant. Okay, or or you yeah. can't you can't right. deliver a, a dachshund puppy to the Marines right. and then and come out with a with a man after that. Right. Excellent. I think what that is saying, I more than think what that is saying, mm-hmm. is that when we receive Jesus, mm-hmm. we are given the power to become who we are, who we are, mm-hmm. to become the children we are. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there were there were two questions asked the, the the second and third time I ever presented this to a group of people and they were beautiful. And most of the times when I try to talk or teach or whatever, I always like interaction questions. And th- th- these were both those times. Uh, one of them was a group of pastors. One was another church, and other than my own. And uh, from the group of pastors, a guy pointed out, "Well, you do know, right, that God was our Father." before he was our creator. And I thought, yeah. And I, and I want I want everybody to think about that before you just write it off. Because Jesus is the creator. Mm-hmm. And all of that, all of the vision of creation that was in the heart of the Father came directly from the result of his relationship as the Father with the Son. And the idea of us being made in his image is because he is our father before he is our creator. He created the culture. He created the world. He created the system of life. He created our bodies to house the predestination to be conformed to the image of his son that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter one. And that's the, that's the further back glimpse than in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis one came after what we see by, by revelation from Paul in Ephesians 1. And so once you wrap your head around the fact, okay, Lord, you have seen us as your children before we were conceived. And then the second question was by a, a, a gentleman. I presented this to a church that I was invited to speak with on Zoom. And they go, wow, you've given us a lot. He said, I have a question for you. He said, so if we're born again, or we're born when we receive Jesus, according to John chapter one, when are we conceived? Because there's a difference between when a person is conceived and when a person is born. And that was, that led to a really wonderful uh, discussion, a really wonderful set of conversations and study. And I believe that it's clear in the scripture that we are conceived 
in the heart of the Father, the mind of the Father, the purpose of the Father, before the foundation of the world, which then explains a lot about Jesus being the Lamb slain before the foundation, about creation being this way, about us being made in the image of God, and Jesus ended up looking just like us when he's incarnate. And so I I just would uh, suggest, you know, as a result of all this, that the most basic relational identity that we have is as a child of God. And that's not to discount being a son. It's not to discount being a daughter. It's not to discount being a priest or a king. But if you just think about it, there's never been a priest. There's never been a king. There's never been a son. There's never been a daughter that wasn't a child. Perfect. And they've never lost that standing. And for us to consciously or unconsciously ignore that, I think creates open doors for things like orphan spirits, mm-hmm. open doors for a sense of disconnection, mm-hmm. open doors for uh, a wrong understanding of the, of the, what the scripture teaches about adoption. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not that we were born by somebody else and we don't belong to God and then he rescues us. It opens the door for what I think is just one of the most destructive basic assumptions, which is that there's a group of people that are in and a group of people that are out. You know, so um, anyway, it's turned into a really huge deal for me. And that's the background for it. Oh, wow. Very yum. That is so uh, amazing and and rich. You know, one of the things when I I've been meditating on this for a while and a lot of what you're I mean, all the three scriptures that you brought up and then you brought up Ephesians 1, 4, which is that we're chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world to be in union with him before him without spot or blemish and love. I know that's the Catherine version. But um, so but, but with that, yeah, uh, but I so I've been meditating on this uh, for a very long time. And if you think of who God is and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before the foundation of the world as other giving love. So, uh, so tracking with this other giving love when you come in union with in other giving love, what happens? There's a fruitfulness. It exploded in a race of kids in his image and likeness that look just like him in their flavor. And so, and you're my flavor. And so our, this foundational concept of being a child, I, I, one of the scriptures that, that ministers to me so much because it's my go-to is when Jesus was saying, as you remain in me and me and you, you will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. And it's that concept of dependency. And children are always dependent. Sometimes as son and sons and daughters, we can kind of get too sexy, you know, and think we can kind of thank you, Jesus. I'll take it from here. But there's yeah. no part that's fruitful that you can take it apart from that dependency. So you never outgrow the child like dependence, even though maybe you're operating as a son, as a daughter, as a king, as a priest, um, right. all of that. And so that's the place where we can actually rest. Because how masterful is God? How masterful is he at, at, at drawing all things to himself, at redeeming all things to himself, um, all of those things that conforming us into the image of Christ. And so we can rest in Christ's sufficiency because we're kids and we've got this incredible father who adores us mm-hmm. right where we're at. 
um, and with the cluelessness that we're operating at or fallenness, whatever that is, but he has us right in that place and is continually conforming us. And so then we can rest because it's not all dependent on us and our ability. Right. So, which I think is so. Yeah, no, that, that's really well said. Mm-hmm. The, the, there's so many beautiful, um, sort of immediate effects of that, uh, performance driven Christianity where you're, you're constantly measuring yourself against what you did or didn't get done at any given point in time. Uh, understanding that, that, that has literally nothing to do with your most basic identity, how you're viewed by the father. Uh, it, it changes, it changes everything about that. It, it takes away the, the hook that men can use, that people around us can use, especially that the enemy can use mm-hmm. to try to say, well, you know, I know you think you're a believer. I know you think you're a Christian. I know you think you're a saint. I know you think you're a son, what a daughter. It doesn't matter. Uh, those, those hooks go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying they can't be spoken. Right. But they don't have a place to land when you realize, and I mean, even, even just little simple illustrations, like, like what father or what parent would have the slightest, slightest tendency of rejecting mm-hmm. a toddler who falls trying to learn to walk. Right. I mean, it, right. it's just inconceivable. Right. But if you're not a toddler, mm-hmm. if, if you're responsible for your own status as an adulthood and then you make it an offering to the Lord, then you're all kinds of vulnerable to those things. And you never know when it's ever good enough. And it never really is good enough because the right. the target always moves. And so exactly. you can never rest. And and you and, and and the security of who you are is constantly up for grabs because there's something about how well you perform, how what what your faith looks like, you know, did I do it enough? Did I whatever, um, that it, it's it's never enough. And that that gets to be a grind, that gets to be performance. We get to be massively insecure. We get in competition, all sorts mm-hmm. of mess that starts to happen because we're not tracking with this foundational reality that brings all the security and then performing out of that place instead of trying to get there from here. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. No, that's so, so true. There was a season about, Oh gosh, I don't know how long ago this was, but eight years ago, seven, eight years ago, where one particular topic caught my eye and it was the, the idea of uh, dualism mm-hmm. and the ideal. And uh, without getting too into the weeds on the technical part of it, because I'm trying to get away from being that kind of guy nowadays, uh, dualism is basically the belief, the philosophic belief most of us inherited through Platonism or, or Greek thought, mm-hmm. where the basis for reality consists of two relatively equal but opposing forces. Well, the first thing bad about that is the devil gets a big boost when, when <laughs> right? he's responsible for half of the basis of reality. It's right? not like that at all. Wow. <laughs> uh, but th- that opens the door for uh, the ideal. And I remember when I was in junior high, actually, uh, somebody was trying to teach philosophy and uh, the, the idea about the platonic ideal. And, and they took a, a desk chair that was sitting there and they said, so this is a particular kind of chair, but the ideal chair is 
it embraces all of the goodness and all of the perfection of a chair. Mm -hmm. So whether you have a height chair or a, a, a desk chair or a living room chair, those are all just expressions in the material world of the ideal chair. All right. That mm -hmm. all sounds okay for a while, you know, right. but I, I felt like the Lord helped me understand here's the source of almost all your frustration and vulnerability is that you are constantly chasing the ideal mm. you. Right. And so once, I mean, what do you do? Uh, you pursue it spiritually, you pursue it right. physically, you pursue it financially, yeah. you pursue it socially, right. you pursue it in relationship. And there's always more and there's never enough. Like you said, it, it's a constantly moving target. Absolutely. And the big one is, is that it rips us out. Mm -hmm of the simple security mm -hmm. of belonging mm -hmm. to God. Exactly. Being a child of a father right. and having the ideal literally before us all the time. Right. Jesus. That's where we're coming from. He yeah. showed us us. Right. Exactly. He showed us us. I remember the first time that, that I, I uh, read the Mirror Bible uh, several years ago and Francois de Troyes was emphasizing that so much and i had the hardest time wrapping my head around it that jesus primarily came to reveal us now yes it had to be uh, uh there had to be salvation there had to be forgiveness there had to be all these things but what man lost mm -hmm. in the work. fall mm -hmm. was knowing that he belonged to god mm -hmm. and he hid as a result of it exactly. and so i like i say i'm not trying to say that that this thought about childness is the final word, but it is certainly a word that is a part of the whole journey into security, into becoming who we are. And it's pretty exciting to me, actually. It, it is. And, 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 and our ability to relate with God rightly. So when we see God rightly as a father and as a father and, you know, Jesus came to reveal the father. So not this scary sky God, but this beautiful other giving love sacrificial for his kids, yep. God, um, and came to reveal that. Well, what does that say? Well, he turns around as we see Jesus rightly, we see father God rightly, and then we see ourselves rightly. And we, mm -hmm. we cannot get up. We will never see ourselves apart from seeing God rightly. And God is a father. And he, I mean, he's, he's, he's many, but such a, his, as particularly at, in his relationship with us as creating a race of kids, co-heirs with Christ that look just like him in the flavor yeah. of Christ and our flavor of Christ. And so, <clears throat> and coming from that place of original innocence and original design, uh, without spot or blemish, that's our original design. And so I talk a lot about unveiling what's already true about us. And so that means yep. stripping away of everything that's not true about us. And then, and then recognizing as well our completeness in him that we're not deficient, uh, because we're never apart from him except for in our minds. That's where we get confused right. and, yeah. and messed yeah, up. Paul makes that really clear. You know, you're alienated mm -hmm. and engaged in hostile deeds right. up here, up right. here. Exactly. It's a big, it's a big emphasis of what I try to help people understand. Let me just throw one other little point in, uh, related to what you just said. Mm -hmm. Well, two points. The first is 
in spite of realizing and in, in, in that it's tragically true that not everybody has a great childhood experience. Not everybody has. I understand that. I understand that. However, think about this. Every single person on the face of the planet has experienced being a child. Mm-hmm. We're built to know what this right. is like. Right. Even if we had a negative one, we're built to know what this is like. Nobody is thrown into the mix without any child experience. And so the idea of converting and becoming a little child is eminently doable. Obviously, it's going to have the help of the Holy Spirit. And you're right, Catherine, it's it's not like coming into something that that we're not designed for genetically, that we're not designed for psychologically and socially and spiritually. We're all designed and we all have experience in being both spiritual and natural children. And, and then the other thing that it, it, this thought helps deliver us from is who can know what spiritual life is really supposed to be like? Right. Who can know what maturity is supposed to? That's why the, the, the vulnerability to constantly chasing an ideal that is never nailed down is so destructive. Mm-hmm. But, but we're not invited to, to develop a life and hope that it pleases God. We are invited to enter a life that has pre-existed everything exactly. and is not up for vulnerability and exactly. it's got rich diversity and I'm talking and you know I'm talking the life between the father and the son and the son and the father and the spirit and that's why we're being invited into something that's already established exactly. something that is already proven that is already proven itself big enough to create and sustain everything that exists. Absolutely. That's security. it's not yeah. it's not a vulnerable thing. No, it is and 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 we were made for it. We were engineered for it. So even if you had a horrific childhood, you know, uh uh your original design before which predated that was to be a child. And so yeah. I mean I like to say um you were marked by love before you were marred by anything else. And so that's really that brilliant. Being, yeah, right? it is. And so it is. Being marked by your father who is love, um, that, that's identity before anything else messed with it. And, you know, if you mm-hmm. need a grid installed, well, that's just a program thing. That's a Holy Spirit led thing. If you, if you need to get rid of faulty programs, well, that's a deprogramming thing and that's a spirit led thing, but everything else is programming, but your original essence of who you are, which, which transcends all that and is the foundation of all that has already been established. So, yeah. you know, and, and, and that, that's, that's why you can have infinite hope. You know, I, I do a lot of coaching, so you can into hope where people have these horrific, why you're not postal, I don't know, but it's amazing that you're not, you know, that's about 50% of the people I see, but it's because of their original wiring and their original uh, uh, essence of who they are and God's ability to commune and, and conform that uh, and, and, and bring out really who they they were originally they have been originally yeah. be- created to be before the foundation of the world and so it just Absolutely. gives you a lot of hope and it gives you a lot of hope for yourself you know and we were all familiar with the crazy that goes on in our heads and so <laughs> it gives us a lot of hope in our being conformed into the image of God and learning to receive and rest as a beloved adored child well loved child uh, and and do exploits as a son and daughter but we're still children and that's that 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 undergirds everything that we do. 
So it's amazing. Yeah. 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 One of the little steps, uh, that the Lord led, led me and led our through is there certain five, six things that probably deserve to be rethought if we're going to find our voice in the kingdom, be comfortable in the kingdom, be secure in the kingdom. One of those things had to do with trusting our heart. And, uh, you know, there's, there's some stuff there in Proverbs in various places. The heart's desperately wicked. I'm not saying that it's not, but an overarching bit of evidence about the significance and the goodness of our heart is that it's a place where Jesus chooses to take up residence by the spirit. And he's not just going to move in like it's a slum or like it's some horrible place. There's something right. good there, you know, even, right. even though he, he freely admits as well that all kinds of evil things can come out. But if you take a, so I envisioned our, our heart as having a dark spot here and having light come in. Well, we know what happens to darkness when light is brought in proximity with it. Darkness right. doesn't have the ability to resist light. It can't hold it. It can't pull it down. It can't yeah. comprehend it. Yeah. Uh, so on the journey, this was prior to kind of my awakening to the significance of this childness. On the journey toward that, the heart became a significant thing. And I had a hard time getting people to think, okay, yeah, I can see what you're saying, but I don't feel, I can't trust my heart because I know it has ucky stuff in it. I go, well, so this child thing and, and God being our father before he's our creator, it's, it goes back to what you say. The way you, you're using the term wiring. Uh, we're designed to resonate with what is good about being a child of the father. Even if we had a poor father, even if we had, a, a, we're deprived of that, we're still built to recognize that. You know, uh, Augustine, I think, said that there's a God-shaped hole in our heart that won't be filled by anything except him. That, that's true. And there are any, any number of metaphors about that. But the, the hope that I have that for, to help see this myself, grow in it myself, and help people experience it is that even if you've never had a positive experience, you're built to recognize one when you're having it. Exactly. And that is what Jesus brings. And that is who the Father is that he revealed. Absolutely. And that, that's, it's, it's a breathtaking, transcendent truth. That is an eternal truth. And it's, it's, um, yeah, it is. It, and, and that gives vast hope for everybody who, you know, may not have a grid for it. Well, that's okay. Grids, grids are insertable. You can get those. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. but we're designed and engineered for it. And that's, that's amazing. Wow. Wow. I am so loving this. I can't believe we're kind of at the top of our time. Oh my goodness. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> let, let, let me, let me close with just one last Please. thought. And I want to reflect back on the thing that I, I pointed out at the beginning. I, I love the scripture. I know you do. One of the mm-hmm. things I love about your book is you, you just, you just walk us through the scripture over and over and over again, not as the kind of beat it over somebody's head thing, but as the kind of permission here's here's the revelation of the ages and here's what it says so consider this this kind of thing i want to go back to that we're not imagining a, a cool a cooler to talk about something you know mm-hmm. jesus when, when when asked who's going to be great when when said who are you when said what must we do to be say you know He's the one in the scripture that just simply said, unless you become like a little child, you won't see this. You won't engage this. 
And so for those, those friends that are listening to this, if you feel like there's a hole in your practical security, but you don't want to just reach out to some random philosophy or random new age concept or random this or that. I'm not afraid of any of those things like I used to be, but this is something fundamental that Jesus said. Just read it there in Matthew 18. Read his conversation with Nicodemus in John 3. Read that astounding statement down there in, in the John 1, 9 through 12. And let, and just ask the Lord, what were you saying? What were you saying about me? You know, and I, I really think that, that, that a lot of people are going to be touched by it. Yeah, and Holy Spirit just loves to minister through that word, just minister to you personally. What does that mean to you personally? Because it's very personal. It's universal, but it's personal. And, you know, that way we engage with, with, with the scriptures, with the person who is the word. And as the scriptures point to the person who is the word, we receive life and it's amazing. So, wow. Well, Wow, we could just t- go on and fun. on and on. I hope you come back. <laughs> I think we just have I would love up. to. Yeah, this is fun. I'm learning new stuff about it all the time. Uh, like, you know, part of my journey was to try to analyze how kids behaved and, and try to mimic that behavior. And that was a good step for a while. But then I, I started learning there are things about kids that they do naturally, like trust and stuff that deserves a lot more explanation than just the the surface issues. So yeah, there's, there's more to talk about. I'd love to. Oh, there's a lot there. That's so amazing. Well, Larry, I know everybody has been, uh, this has been so good. How can people connect with you? Uh, if they want to receive more of kind of what you're getting, how can they okay, tie in? Okay. Well, uh, our church is called Joyland and our website is called joylandlife.com. And so you can find most of we do and teach there at joylandlife.com. Uh, we have a number of Zoom meetings. We have a couple of hybrid meetings where we have some people like home groups that are also on Zoom. And we have one primary service a week on Friday evening. And that's in Mountain Time here in Colorado. And so you can find out all that information on joylandlife.com. And I just encourage people, if, if they think they might want to check it out, just pop into Zoom. Uh, say hi and chat, leave your video off if you want to and be real anonymous and, and, and listen. We absolutely love people and we love questions. Yeah. And I can't imagine a question that is even remotely close to honest that we wouldn't welcome. And, and, uh, we have mics set up during all of our messages and all of our groups or discussion groups. Uh, because one of the things that I survived and am still a happy Jesus follower over is that I don't have to have all the answers and I don't have to present all the facts at one time. <laughs> right. And so there is a beauty that's engendered by the spirit of God in the body of Christ. And your questions are as important as anybody's answers. Yeah, that's, so, that's so feel free to look us up on joylandlife.com. Yeah, that's great. You definitely do that. I, I was kind of amused when you're saying, and if you want to, be anonymous. I think that's the equivalent of sitting in the back row right now. Yeah, it is. Well, and I understand it. You know, I, I understand that that church is a place that can put a lot of pressure on people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we 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 try not to certainly do that on any kind of purpose, 
but also sometimes just the sheer magnitude of the revelation of the love of God and the goodness of God's enough pressure. Yeah. Can it really be true? You know, and right. you spend your ministry and life helping people understand that it is. So, so that's great. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Larry. We will definitely have you back. And this has been fun. Thank oh, you. It's been so much fun. And everybody check out uh, Larry's stuff. I'll be including uh, the link so you can just, um, uh, Click on those and tie in. And and in the meantime, everybody have a wonderful evening, day, whatever time period you are at. Amen. <laughs> All Amen. right. Thanks Catherine, so thank you so much. All right. You have a great day. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Perspectives with Catherine Toon. For additional information and resources, please visit CatherineToon.com.